Hello, everyone, and welcome to Blogging Theology. Today, I am delighted to talk again to Joram van Cleveren. You're most welcome, sir. Well, uh, thank you very much, uh, Paul. It's uh, it's a pleasure to be on uh, your channel again. Now, Joram uh, was actually uh, last on Blogging Theology back in September uh, when he told us of his extraordinary journey from Christianity to Islam. As a former member of the Dutch Parliament and a representative of the Party for Freedom, Party for Freedom, Verticommas, uh, he submitted numerous bills related to Islam, such as those calling for the closing of mosques, I kid you not, the removing of the Quran from Parliament and from banning Islam from the Netherlands. Now, as I'm sure you all know, he is a Muslim. And you can read about his personal and theological journey in uh, this highly recommended book called uh, Apostate. There's the front cover uh, with forwards by Sheikh Hamza Yusuf and Professor Abdul Hakim Murad, no less. And there's a little inscription um, or uh, saying, which I really like, it's a very brief by the, uh, the Roman statesman and writer Cicero, who said, they condemn what they do not understand. They condemn what they do not understand. I think that pretty much sums it all up. Um, recently, much, as we know, has happened in Europe with Marine Le Pen gaining her highest ever vote in the French presidential elections. Even though she lost, she actually achieved the highest level of popular support in history. And President Macron, who won the election, uh, is increasingly occupying far right positions in French politics. The question really I have, um, for, for Joram as well, is are we seeing a far-right Islamophobic resurgence just in the French Republic, or is this a phenomenon across the whole of the European continent? What is the situation today in Holland, Belgium, Sweden, and Austria, for example? And Joram has kindly agreed to give us his assessment of the dangers, especially as seen in recent mainstream reporting on Islam and Muslims. And I've seen some of this footage, uh, which we'll talk about now. And it's actually quite strikingly shocking. And, uh, and I'm very grateful for Jerome de Green to come on today to share this uh, with us so we are aware of what's actually going on in Europe and places like Holland and so on. So over to you, sir. Yeah, again, uh, thank you very much. Uh, well, I was uh, asked to, uh, to give a, like, like, a, like a brief introduction to, uh, to the topic of uh, rising uh, anti-Islam politics. Hmm. And uh, well, I, I think it's good if we focus on, uh, on Europe, uh, because that's the context we live in, of course. And, uh, but it's good to be aware of the fact that uh, this is a, a global development that we see, because uh, when you look at India, for example, we've got the Hindutva, uh, where, where people who uh, with, a, with a Hindu background think that India is only India if there are no uh, people with a Muslim background or a Christian background. It has to be all Hindu. So mm -hmm. like, like Hindu nationalism is something we see in Hindutva, and they focus especially on Islam and Muslims. And uh, when we look at uh, China, for example, we see how uh, terrible the, the Uyghur people uh, are treated in concentration camps and the most uh, horrific things happen to, uh, to, happen to them and to this whole community. And 
Now we see that the, the UE Muslims, that's the, the biggest Muslim community in China, uh, slowly faces the same treatment. So uh, also in China, we see this uh, anti-Islam sentiment. And uh, of course, we have uh, Australia and in uh, uh, New Zealand, where we have the, the Christchurch attack uh, a few years ago with, uh, with the, the crazy guy, the terrorist who killed so many innocent people. Um, in the United States, where we had uh, not, not so long ago uh, Trump, that said we had a, we need a Muslim ban and of course we are in uh, in Europe and uh, as we said we'll focus on the context of Europe mm. and um, yeah I, I think it's a very worrying uh, development uh, here mm, mm. Um, perhaps it's it's good to to, to start with uh, yeah several causes of uh, of this rise of anti-islam sentiments in Europe mm. Uh, and I, I, I uh, sum up five. Uh, first is the the historical context uh, because it's always been a part of uh, European culture. And uh, Sheikh Abdul Hakim Murad uh, from your country who, who wrote a, a book. It's called Traveling Home. I uh, and it's 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 a it's, it's a great book. Uh, and it, in in this book he mentions this um, the first time that Europeans identify themselves as Europeans. Yes. And uh, this is this isn't about uh, black people or people uh, with LGBT or whatever. It's it's really focused on Islam because in 732, so ages ago, <laughs> uh, there was this battle in Poitiers in uh, in France uh, between the, the 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 Muslims and the Europeans, uh, and this is the first battle that Europeans said we are. Europeans. Yeah. In, in the year 754, there was the oldest manuscript they found where Europeans talk about themselves as Europeans. And they yeah. said, well, we are Europeans because we are not Muslims. <laughs> so the first uh, textual um, uh, uh, evidence we have that Europeans talk about themselves as Europeans is that they identify themselves as not Muslims. Mm -hmm. So uh, being not Muslim was also yeah, almost a part of the basic concept of European identity. So that's something that's very remarkable. And of course, we have a lot of clashes with the Ottoman Empire uh, back then. Um, but the historical point uh, has to do with theology as well, of course, because mm -hmm. Europe was Christian. And uh, the Ottoman Empire, for example, and also the northern of Africa, was uh, was Muslim. So a lot of Christian uh, scholars uh, wrote a lot of books, for example, Martin Luther, about uh, the Turks. And he was very anti-Islam in a theological way. So he said, well, Islam is, so to say, the, the, uh, the religion of the Antichrist. Yeah. So that is part of European history, part of European uh, heritage. And a lot of people, of course, because of secularization, don't know this anymore. But that is, this is a sentiment that's in the culture. So even if you don't know it, it's something you, uh, in a way, um, uh, yeah, in, in a way, you, you will receive it in your, so to say, in, in, in a cultural way and in, in your uh, way of uh, being brought up as a, as, as a European. Yeah, I, I just I'm, I'm rereading at the moment um, Professor Edward Said's great book, Orientalism. Um, he was a professor at Columbia University, sadly okay. uh, passed away. And there's an absolutely fundamental, crucial book that changed the perception of uh, of many looking at how. Uh, Western perceptions going right back to ancient Greece of the other, the people from the, the Orient, not just Muslims, but people, Arabs as well, 
um, very deeply rooted, and it still persists today in media portrayals of Muslims in movies and Hollywood uh, and in popular media as well. So this is a very well, what you're saying is a very well-researched, academically researched field. Uh, I mentioned Edward Said's book, Orientalism, which uh, has become an absolute classic in, in talking precisely about this kind of uh, portrayal of the other, the Arab, the Muslim uh, in, in, in our culture. Yeah, Sorry. Yeah. No, true, absolutely true, and it's a good, uh, good thing to mention. And but but this is this is just one part, I think, when it comes to uh, why do we see this rise of anti-Islam sentiment. So the first thing is there is a historical basis, a historical fundament in in the culture of Europe. But the second uh, the second thing is, of course, after the fall of the Soviet Union. Uh, and uh, the atheist ideology of uh, communism, we saw that the, the tensions that were always there between the West and the East, in a way, between Christianity and Islam, it popped up again. Yes, and they kind of resurfaced. They've been suppressed yeah, yeah. by the Cold War, uh, the, the Soviet Union, and now, whoosh, it's back, it's back yeah. again. Um, yeah. Yeah. So, and, and that's something, uh, because uh, you mentioned, for example, movies, that's something you see. Yeah. Uh, when you look at James Bond movies, for example, you know, uh, uh, for some decades you saw the evil empire, the Soviet Union, all the spies and stuff. It was always the East in a, in a Soviet sense. Mm. But uh, after uh, 1990, so to say, 1989, uh, you saw this changing. And then all of a sudden the Arab terrorists mm. was there. Exactly. So it's something that, that has to do with uh, the fall of the, the, the former enemy. <laughs> so the old enemy was back again. And it was, of course, Islam. Uh, then, of course, we have uh, a terrorism and uh, committed by people uh, who call themselves Muslims. And it's something that, that is true, of course. And, of course, that scares people and that makes them worried about who are yeah. these people, what is this, uh, this, this new religion we don't know anything about. Mm -hmm. uh, and, of course, media, uh, the continuous repeating of incorrect uh, images, uh, information that is scary. Uh, and, yeah, well, you repeat it time after time after time after time. That has a lot of impact, of course. Uh, but also the behavior of some Muslims uh, that, that has to do with, uh, with, with, with this, 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 uh, this idea that Islam is something scary. Uh, because, of course, when you look at uh, the Internet or television and you see all those uh, scary images and you, you hear about terrorism and then you look at in your own street and you see these, uh, these young guys uh, talking in, in a very negative way, uh, perhaps doing stuff that are criminal or, or whatever, uh, then you, you, you're confirmed in your, in your idea, whoa, it's a scary thing. But of course, if you see uh, uh, practicing Muslims who behave very well, uh, nice, uh, gentle, etc. Then, of course, you see, whoa, there's something strange here. I see this stuff on television that's almost at odds with the things I see in my in, in real life, so to say. Mm -hmm. uh, and, and that is uh, important. I often say that uh, to, to Muslim, because sometimes they ask me, well, why do you think people think we are scary? Mm -hmm. and I say, well, non-Muslims, of course, they don't read the Quran, they don't read the Hadith, they read you and they read me and Paul and all other Muslims. Mm -hmm. So if we behave bad, they think Islam is bad. <laughs> Do we behave good? They think, well, perhaps that's interesting. I want to know more than some, then it's good. So that's another uh, aspect, uh, so to say, of this, this, this whole idea of anti-Islam sentiments. And of course, and I think that's a, a very important thing and it's uh, not mentioned always and I think it's perhaps even the most important thing there is secularism mm. and the secularization yeah. of the West 
makes that uh, a lot of people, especially in, in Northwestern Europe, uh, uh, England, but also the Netherlands, Denmark, and all those other countries here, uh, they lost religion. So they really don't have a clue. So when they talk about religion, they used to have some kind of understanding, but that under, understanding is gone because they don't have the knowledge anymore. And uh, I, sometimes I give this little anecdote. I, I used to be a teacher about uh, 16, 17 years ago. And one time I was in the Vatican in, uh, in Rome with wow. a class. It was a gymnasium uh, class, so it's, uh, so to say, uh, it, uh, kind of an Ivy League school. So the, the children, the, the next elite. <laughs> uh, and I was there and I, uh, we, we looked at a, a painting. It was a painting of Adam and Eve. And you saw the snake and you saw a tree. And I asked him, what do you see? Right. And I, and I said, yeah, two people with with a snake trying to catch a snake. <laughs> it really was the, the, the they, honest. They, they had no idea what was going on. They had no oh, idea. Yeah. Of, no, wow. they, they, there was one a girl, she mentioned the brand of Kappa. Get ahead of postage rate increases this year with stamps.com. It's like your own personal post office. Sign up with promo code program for a four-week trial plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's stamps.com code program. You know the Kappa of of uh, Kappa is a, is a is a brand a sports brand you see on football. Oh, oh, I wouldn't know about that. Okay, <laughs> it's, it's like like Umbro or Nike or Adidas. Oh, okay, Kappa okay. as well. And then you see a man and a woman sitting like Adam and Eve, and they said, "Well, uh, is it something of Kappa?" Oh, I see. Oh, I said, no. <laughs> uh, but they really didn't know, and I thought, and that's 16, 17 years ago. So, and wow. that the first time that I thought, well, they they really don't get religion anymore back then of course i was a christian and this was a christian school by the way so it was very worrying i thought well you don't know even your own history your own big narrative and, and that's gone so now of course we see muslims uh, practicing part of a society when it comes to religion so if they ask for uh, some uh, freedoms when it comes to food or dress or uh, just in general freedom of religion for a lot of people who don't know religion, it's something very, very strange. They really don't get it. So secularism and secularization is a big part of thinking that people who believe in God, especially Muslims, because they look different, it's something uh, people really, uh, they really practice it. It's scary because they don't know what are they doing. They, they have this imaginable God and they do stuff and we don't know about. And so I think that's a very big part of the whole, uh, whole anti-Islam uh, sentiment that is there, combined, of course, with the, with the other five things I just mentioned. Okay. So I think uh, in, in the Netherlands, there was uh, about two, three weeks ago, there was this um, report. It's, uh, it's called Outside the church outside the mosque. And it was uh, it was done by the government. And they said, well, the coming decades, we'll see an increasing uh, development of atheism. So there will be more and more atheists. Now in the Netherlands, it's uh, 51, 52%. So it was sort of for the first time, we see more atheists than all theists combined. So all Muslims, Christians, Jews, whatever, combined are a, mi a minority compared to atheists. Although this is very interesting, just on that point, there was a survey done uh, recently, a collaborative survey uh, from several universities in Britain looking at global atheism. And they were looking at various in South America and in Japan and Europe, of course. 
and finding out, well, what is it that atheists believe? Well, you think that's an easy answer. They don't believe in God. However, and this is the startling thing, and this is peer-reviewed academic research reported in the media, the reports in the Times and so on, that most atheists, I kid you not, and I did a, actually did a thing on this, most atheists believe in the supernatural. Uh, they may believe in life after death. They may believe in angels. They may believe in all sorts of things. They don't believe in God. Oh, yes, that's for their atheists. <laughs> but w w when, when I hear atheists, and many, many Muslims, when they talk about atheists, they, they're thinking of hardcore materialists, like people like Richard Dawkins, the famous yeah. Oxford... Um, I do. <laughs> uh, uh, yeah, but, but that's not what most self-described atheists globally believe. Many Most, it's not like uh, uh, most do actually believe in things like life after death, or uh, angels, or or the supernatural. The word supernatural. So this is, although, although I accept what you're saying, it it can be misleading if it leads us to think that we're talking about hardcore materialists who believe in nothing. That's not the, what's happening. People are still they still have religious beliefs. I think belief in the supernatural is a kind of a quasi religious belief, yeah. even though it's not well formed perhaps so it's not quite what it seems these surveys although maybe in holland they really are materialists i don't know no no i think you're right uh, because uh, of course there's uh, this famous um, religion scientist called marcia eliaris from Romania. he uh, once said that people are religious whether they like it or not <laughs> and they always will be religious and, and, and of course we call this fitra because that's exactly. something, it's, it's in the core of how, how yeah. you are designed. I mean, young people often say, say, oh, I'm not religious. I don't believe in religion. But I'm very spiritual. They say yeah. this, I'm very <laughs> spiritual. I'm thinking, great, you know. So yeah. what exactly has changed? Okay, you don't formally go to church and worship, you know, you don't go to the, the Roman Catholic Church. But you may still have a profound spiritual interior life. Right. And yet you may be down technically as a non-religious person. Yeah. So, yeah. True. But, but, but what you said about people saying they do not believe in God, mm. that was something they uh, took as, uh, so to say, a parameter in this research. So they said, oh, you do not believe in God? Okay, you're not a theist, because yeah. you say there yeah. is no theos. But I think because uh, whether they are spiritual or not, they, they lost the respect and they lost the understanding of organized religion yes that's no that, that's very true very true yeah and i think that that is a problem and uh anti-islam organizations uh especially those uh, who are operating in politics uh they notice they notice they notice very well and and they use all these uh factors for uh, their own advantage in a way because fear sells and uh, a great example uh, of, of, of the current context and uh, where uh, a lot of what I just uh, told comes together was given uh, uh, last week by uh, on Dutch public television. And uh, by the way, it is important to state that we talk about, let's say, 20, perhaps 25 percent of the population, but they are very focal and they are in politics and they're well organized. Uh, but most people in the West are, uh, just like you said, uh, are in a way spiritual and uh, just like uh, in other places of the world, minding their own business. <laughs> they're very positive. They're not anti-Islam. So it's not that the general population hates Islam, but it's, it's a very focal, let's say one-fifth, perhaps a quarter of the population that is very anti-Islam. But because of they're well organized, because of the fact that they are in politics, they're very focal, they're on the media. So that's what we see all the time. And it has impact, of course, also on the people who aren't that negative. But it 
it has an impact. Mm-hmm. So, uh, and uh, I don't know if it's possible for the people. Uh, there is a link, right? Yeah, I, I put a I put a link in the description uh, below to uh, the program um, that John's about to talk about on, on Dutch public television, and I've seen the clips. Uh, and John has explained to me uh, beforehand uh, what they can tell. They are in Dutch, although I think you can access, um, uh, you know, sort of, uh, translation YouTube subtext. But um, they are very shocking. And this is the equivalent, as John will explain, of the like the BBC in in Britain. So this is a, a mainstream, respectable public broadcaster. And, and and this is footage that you can see from some matter of days ago. Discuss it. Well, I'll let John explain what happened. Yeah, and uh, that's true. That, thanks. Uh, what, what we see and hear Philip de Winter, and Philip de Winter is the, the leader of the Flemish interest. And in Dutch or Flemish, because it's the same language, uh, you say Flaams Belang. And it's the, the second party in the country, Belgium. But he was, uh, he was invited by uh, this, this Dutch uh, program on public television, funded right. by the state, by the way. Yeah. So, and the Belgium sister organization, because that is what Flaams Belang is, is, is the Belgium sister organization of the Freedom Party. So oh, my right. old party. So, and uh, again, it's the second party in the country. And this was on Dutch public television. We, we call it the MPO. Like you said, it's the BBC of the Netherlands in a way. Yeah. Uh, and it was about Islam and it was about immigration. And of course, uh, we have uh, to discuss politics. I think that's a very healthy thing to do because we want to have an open debate. I'm not so much into uh, cancel culture and stuff like that. Uh, but uh, there was... Not one single uh, critical question, uh, none, really none. And it was almost like a commercial for anti-Islam politics. So it's very strange because we all fund this. It's funded by the state with our uh, with our money. And there are four moments in, in the program that are very relevant and I think uh, illustrative yes. for the topic of our talk. Please, 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 please tell us what was what was said. Um, and as I say, we, you can just click on the link below and um, if you can follow along, you can see what was said in this program. Oh, yeah, yeah. Uh, so that, that, that's a good thing. If you want to check it out, you can check it out for yourself. Yeah. And perhaps you hear some words because there are general words uh, almost uh, uh, everybody will understand. Well, after all, uh, and I think it's very important, it's, it's the same story that um, uh, anti-Islam political parties, um, they, they spread, whether it's in the Netherlands or Belgium or Italy or Austria or Sweden, uh, but also in France, because uh, we, we, we started with, uh, with, with uh, uh, Le Pen, of course. But in fact, the theory is France, and perhaps we can talk about that later. Mm-hmm. But there are these four moments. And the first thing is that the reporter asked, can you explain what omvolking means? Mm-hmm. And Omvolking, it's, uh, there is no real English translation. I looked it up, but there is no real translation. But if, I, if, if when he explains, you'll understand. So the winter, the guy, the, the Belgian politician, he says, that's pretty simple. Our people are being replaced by another people. That means omvolking. Folking means folk. Like, it, it actually, actually if, if you listen to that expression, uh, I know it's in Dutch, if you think about it in English, it actually does make sense. And well, you can actually work out sort of what it means, even if it is not translated. You unfolk someone, you unfolk a people. You, okay, you, yeah. you de people a people, implying their replacement in some way. Yeah, so, it's, yeah it's, it, it, it is there. You can actually just about work it out, actually, even in English. Amazing. Okay, yeah, because it is about replacement. That's the replacement yeah. theory. And we'll talk about it later. Because, and he says it's pretty simple. Our people are being replaced by another people. 
and along with the population exchange mm-hmm. comes an exchange of civilizations. Our way of life is being threatened. And then there's a second, um, this, uh, this second moment, and he says, then Antwerpen, and that's a big city in Belgium, it's, so to say the second city after Brussels, he says, it will become Antwerpistan. And Stan, he refers to like, like Turkey or uh, an Islamic uh, country. Uh, and what is happening in these big cities will also happen all over Europe. Europe will become Arabia. And uh, the third thing is that he says it's about Islam. And he says, but Islam is like an ink stain. It's like a cancerous tumor. Sorry, sorry. Well, we could just stop you there. Did you just, did you just say cancerous tumor? Yeah, like the disease, the disease cancer. Yeah. No, just, yeah, I, I heard you. I, I just wanted just to, to pause because this is, this is um, uh, extreme, uh, uh, ex- to put it mildly, it's extreme language. I mean, this is analogous yeah. to the language some of the Nazis used about the Jews uh, um, being rats and diseases. I mean, it's, it's, it reminds me of that kind of trope, that kind of language of a minority used by Europeans, in, even in our past in the 20th century. And uh, so it's appalling language. I just wanted to stress yeah, that. It's, it's, it's very extreme, even for... Uh, and we are pretty uh, open and pretty uh, extreme in a way in the Netherlands, but even in the Netherlands, to say that Islam is like cancer... Mm. It's pretty extreme. Yeah. Uh, so he says it's a it's a cancerous tumor that continues to spread. Wow. So it's spreading. Yeah, and he yeah, makes yeah, this yeah. he makes this sign. When you look at uh, when you look uh, look at the, the video, you see him do this, and it means it's spreading all over yeah. the wow. country. Well, and the, the fourth thing, and that, um, that's kind of a summary of the core message of anti-Islam politics. And of course, I know it very well because I was one of uh, these uh, these focal persons. He says, Islam doesn't belong in Europe. And I have to read it here. Uh, Islam is a break on every form of integration. Uh, Islam is uh, a break on assimilation. Islam is at odds with our culture, with our values, our norms. It's alien. It's a foreign body in Europe. We should not tolerate that. We don't have to subsidize, recognize, or facilitate that. He says, on the contrary. So it's kind of saying we have to do something about it. Uh, And it's not a very positive way. Of course, he says, Islam is, of course, organizing a hostile takeover through immigration, through the minorities that already are here. And those immigrants from North Africa, he says, who have not assimilated are the Trojan horse of Islam in Europe. And let's face it, that's what he says, He says, Islam has tried this countless times. We've stopped them in 732 at Poitiers. We just mentioned before. Yeah. Yeah. We stopped them in in 1683 at the Battle of Vienna. And that's the reason why there are a lot of anti-Islam websites called Gates of Vienna, for example. Yes. Again, this is very true. It's 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 quite a a prominent trope on on the nationalist right. Yeah. Yeah, and, and even the, the, the crazy guy we just talked about, the terrorist in Christchurch, he wrote on his rifle 1683. And there were yes. people here uh, uh, in the news, they said, well, he's, he, he wrote down how many casualties you want to make. But of course, that's not about casualties. It was about 1683. There was the Battle of Vienna. So in his thought, he was still fighting this war against Islam. And the only is what Western countries have occupied and colonized countless Muslim countries, resulting in the deaths of untold millions of people, even in the 20th century with France and Algeria. 
I mean, the response to this is so overwhelming that it's almost embarrassing to have to say it. But, you know, yeah. if they think they have problems of an event that happened in 732, 1,300 years ago, and another event that happened five, 400 years ago, well, on the other side, we can go to an extremely long list on a much mass, more massive scale of human death, atrocity, colonization, and exit. I mean, you know, if we're going to play that game, they're going to lose in terms of just the balance sheet of, um, it's you know, it's and, and just to read, to have this still as a motivating political factor today in 2022, uh, events that happened many centuries ago, still inciting some people to commit acts of terror is very sad because you'll never move on because you'll yeah, have something talking. in history. You'll always be living it. True. And, and you see that a lot of people don't know about history and they don't know about the current history. Yeah. And if in a way, it's like people are, they, they lost touch with reality in a way. And, and, so, I mean, the, the, these events happen, but they're just part, they're only one slice of the story. As I say, there's a huge other slice of the story where uh, European powers were occupying and, well, I, I won't go through the boring story again, but it's a massive story to be told on the other side. And yeah, if Muslims are going to be continually uh, angry about that for the rest of infinity, you know, th th this planet is in, I mean, you know, th th this is just so awful. Anyway, I'm taking, please carry on. Yeah. Well, well, but 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 uh, it's 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 a good thing because it's this 1683 thing. It's mentioned so many times because I was of course part of this anti-Islam movement in the Netherlands, and I was a spokesperson on this topic. And I've spoke to so many persons from from France, Belgium, Russia, Germany, whatever, and they all mentioned this this yeah. one event. But the funny thing is, uh, of course, after I uh, I left the Freedom Party and was writing my anti-Islam book. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> that, uh, that went well, didn't it? So, uh, <laughs> well, but I, I I I took a look at history, uh, of course, and of course this 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 event of 1682 was something that was very interesting. Mm -hmm. uh, but but the, the 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 strange thing I uh, found out was that this guy, uh, the general of the the Christian army, was called Jan Sobieski. Mm -hmm. Jan Sobieski was a, as a Polish general because the, there were combined uh, European forces and the guy in charge was this Polish guy called Jan Sobieski. And then a lot of anti-Islam groups, whether they're politic, uh, uh, politic or not, uh, they are political or not, uh, they have some statues or they mention this Jan Sobieski guy because he's uh -huh. their hero. Yeah. yeah. Uh, like in India, for example, you have this gold, uh, guy called Pratap. And Pratap is, was a general who fought against the Muslims. He was a Hindu. And so all these anti-Islam movements have their heroes. Right, and Jan right. Sobieski is one of the heroes of, the, of, uh, of Western anti-Muslim uh, groups. Mm -hmm. But the funny thing is that uh, when this 1683 event was there and the Christians won, Jan Sobieski said, well, we thank our, uh, our siege, uh, the fact that we won, we thank them to the Lipkar Tartars. And the Lipkar Tartars were Muslims. They lived in Poland, but they fought with the Christians. They fought with them because they were expelled from the Ottoman Empire long, long before that. And they said, well, we are, when we look at Sharia, we are living and we are born in Poland. So we have to defend Poland against people who want to invade the country. So they said, because we are Muslims, you have to defend this country. Wow. But they fought against it. And, and Jan Sobieski said, well, we have to bring honor to these people. So what did Jan Sobieski do? He built a mosque 
in Poland in 1683. This is amazing. I had no idea. Not that I've looked into this much, but that's an extraordinary story. Yeah. So, and the funny thing, he gave them two villages and a mosque. So the, the hero of anti-Islam guys and, and Islam, anti-Islam wow. organization built a mosque in Europe ages, centuries ago. But the funny thing is, on the other side, there were Christians, uh, people from Hungary. They were Protestants. Right. And they fought with the Muslims. They fought with the Ottomans against the Christians because they said, well, yeah, because if we are uh, going to lose here, then is that we, we, the non-Catholics, will be killed. Because the Ottoman Empire says we have freedom of religion. We can live there as Protestants oh, under wow. the caliphate. So we will fight with the Muslims against so, the Christians. So you're saying Christians actually fought alongside the Ottoman Muslims yeah. at this famous battle because they were fearful. The Christians were fearful that if the, the Catholic side won, they, the Christians, would suffer persecution. Of course, the Catholics were uh, famous because the, the Inquisition, of course, the Spanish Inquisition and so on, persecuting non Catholic Christians, be they Protestants, obviously. Um, so what you're painting here is a very ironically complex configuration yeah. of forces. Not so black and white. <laughs> Not so black and white. In fact, deliciously um, multicolored, um, dare one say it. That's I, I didn't know that. Thank you so much for sharing that. Um, that, that, that is, uh, I'm going to have to do a, a short extract of the video of, of precisely <laughs> the point because uh, um, it, it's rather, rather juicy information. So thank you for yeah. sharing that. <laughs> well, uh, to go back to the, the last point, and uh, he, he talks about, he said, well, we, we fought, we stopped them in 1683. Huh? <laughs> we just talked about 1683 at the Battle of Vienna. But he says, we have experienced seven centuries of suffering in Andalusia. Well, I don't know how he sees Andalusia, but uh, yeah. he, uh, he experienced Andalusia. And he says, so Europe has been invasively occupied by Islam on a number of occasions. So I, that's what Philip de Winter says, I call this the third Islamic invasion of Europe. This time, not with the... Uh, scimitar or uh, the old word for swords or yes. uh, saber but through the immigration route right so, and this is like a summary of anti-islam politics the ideology that's all summed up in let's say two and, two and, half and, and this is in a public broadcaster danish television last week <laughs> in, the, in the equivalent of the bbc in, in the netherlands and and and, and you because you told me before that these remarks by this Dutch politician when unchallenged. Sorry, I beg your pardon, but when unchallenged, is that right? They weren't and nobody said anything. They didn't nobody said anything. No, they just not. <laughs> they said, okay, thank you. Clear. <laughs> and they didn't have one question at all. Just only can you explain this a little bit more? And there so were no guests, there like were no guests who had been invited by that TV channel from a different point of view to counteract what had just been said by this politician. You that, would expect that. that. Well, yes, but yeah, it was not the case. So uh, what we call this 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 uh, channel we call it PVV TV because it's a PVV. Of course, it's a Freedom Party. So we call oh, it it's television. Oh, oh really? You even got that nickname, blimey! Yeah, yeah, yeah because it's it, it's it's just like a commercial for them because it, uh, people they invite are always pro. Freedom Party, uh, pro anti-Islam politics, pro everything that's. Uh, is, is against Islam and then they can have their thing and, uh, and share their story but what, what is important I think is uh, the, the, the ideology of the current narrative and uh, a lot of people think about the great replacement uh, you mentioned this when it comes about this word umfolking 
Now, this is really crucial now, because now we're going back to France, aren't we? Because oh. this, like, this theory of the Great Replacement, which is gaining traction, uh, not just in France, uh, allegedly, and I say it's allegedly because I can't prove it, Macron privately agrees with this theory, I've heard it said, mm. can't prove that, but it, it's, it's, it's gaining traction in the United States and in Britain as well. So what is this theory? Who, who came up with it? And why is it so significant for Muslims, do you think? Well, uh, of course, a lot of people say it's about uh, Renaud Camus. Yeah, it's a very famous uh, philosopher from France, and he wrote his book in uh, I think 2011 or 2010. I think 2011. And it's called The Great Replacement, mm. and it's about uh, people coming to Europe, especially Muslims coming to Europe, and because they are with so many, and European people don't get any babies anymore. He said, "Well, it's like a systematic takeover. They replace." the uh, the native Europeans and with this and that's what like Philip de Winter says it's like a cultural uh, switch so they said well first we were Christian or atheist or whatever uh, people think they are and then uh, now we will be a Muslim in the future because of this Muslim influx this this immigration uh, flood as they call it but and uh, there's a famous uh, uh, other guy is I think he's British or American Douglas Murray Oh, he's British, English. Yeah, yeah. yeah. yeah he, he wrote this book, eh? The Strange Death of Europe. Oh, yeah, yeah, I read it, yeah. Mm. And in this book, The Strange Death of Europe, he talks about Islam and uh, he points to this guy, Camus. Mm. And he says, it's like Camus saying, etc., etc. And he says, well, eh, we have to stop uh, Islam. And he, he, this guy, Douglas Murray, he came to a parliament in the Netherlands. Did he? Years and years ago, yeah, in 2006, 2007, the political year, 2006, 2007, it's like a season, like that's like football. <laughs> uh, but in uh, 2006, 2007, he came and he said, the conditions for Muslims in Europe must be made harder. Mm. And all immigration of Muslims to Europe must stop. That's what he told the Dutch parliament. Mm. Um, but a lot of people don't know that at the core of what Camus and Murray says, uh, say uh, there is the, the replacement, uh, the, this, this replacement theory, is, it's another uh, uh, theory, and it's the theory of um, Jean Raspail, because we started with France, I think what it could be uh, important uh, to, to mention this thing, and perhaps we end with France as well. Uh, Jean Raspail, he wrote a book, it's called Le Camp de Saint. And Le Camp de Saint, it's French, and I think uh, you know French better than me. It means the camp of uh, the saints. Mm -hmm. and this, this is, a, this is a, a really popular uh, novel in, in French. Uh, it's much less known, unfortunately, well, fortunately, <laughs> uh, in the UK. Uh, and I remember speaking to some, some French friends of mine who live in London, and they hadn't heard of it. But, but it, it's in France, it's, uh, and he's still producing novels. He's an old guy now. Yeah. And um, this is a hugely influential novel in, in France itself, though. Sorry. Yeah. Yeah. And in this book, uh, and it's, it's written in 1973, so it's a really old book. It's decades ago. It was written decades ago. Uh, he says that, well, it, it's like a... a a dystopian, dystopia. dystopia yeah. vision of the future when the, well, yeah. well. France will be flooded with immigrants and flood will fall. And because of French falling, whole Western society will fall. And it's all because of the immigrants. But nowadays, this this whole idea, of course, like like we just uh, heard Philip de Winter say yeah. Uh, yeah. on Dutch television, this is something that is a shared theory, a shared belief in anti-Muslim 
organizations, anti-Muslim groups, but they don't talk about immigrants. They talk about Muslims. That's why he called Europe will become Eurabia. Mm. Antwerpen will become Antwerpistan. And Stan, of course, uh, I, like uh, Turkmenistan, Afghanistan. Yeah. So he refers to it will be an Islamic country. Yeah. Well, so, got, Melanie Phillips is a famous British writer. She took, she wrote a, a book about Lundistan, uh, even this oh, same yeah. kind of thing. We're very Islamophobic. Uh, yeah. Well, and that, that's the same way of thinking, of yeah, course. Yeah. yeah. Um, and, 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 and that's a worrying thing, especially because, and a lot of uh, non-Muslims and even, uh, even non-Muslims don't know, but Muslims don't know, it's about the, the way the, the, the far right, especially the anti-Islam organizations are being organized nowadays because they're organized very well, very professional. And they're in uh, the European Parliament as well as, as a group. Right. And it's a fourth political party in the European Parliament. So it's a big group. Uh, they're even bigger than the, so to say, conservatives. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, it's called Europe and Identity. And Europe and Identity, like it, it's a you, you, of course, you, you left the European Union, but uh, European Union is still there and it's very active. And this group in uh, the European Parliament is active as well. Uh, and uh, this group, it exists out of, for example, Front National, the party of Marine Le Pen. It's called uh, Rassemblement. Yeah, it's coming out now. But, yeah. 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 but also uh, Flemish Interest, uh, the guy, uh, the organization we just talked about, this guy, Philip de Winter, is, is their, uh, their leader. But uh, there's also the FPO. FPO is the Freedom Party of Austria. And uh, a crazy thing there is that it was um, founded for and by ex-Nazis, really, the Nazis from Germany. So after the war, they started a new organization. It's called the Freedom Party in Austria, the Austrian Freedom Party. And there are a lot of people with that background are still active there. Of course, they're old people now, but that's that's an organization and they all work together now. And uh, yeah, I, I think that's a very worrying thing because we saw uh, Marine Le Pen to go back to the beginning of, uh, of this uh, conversation. We saw her over 40%. She gained for over 40% during the last elections. Mm-hmm. And I think if she will run again in about uh, four or five years, yeah. Uh, she she will be president. Right. It's not it's not something and, uh, crazy. To and, and she she has said she. Uh, I, I mean, at one point in the election campaign, I, I remember hearing that um, uh, it was reported that she has said, "Well, now um, I'm not going to require that uh, women uh, not be permitted to wear hijab in public. I'm not going to insist on that anymore." And I thought, well. Finally, some common sense, because how can the gendarme in France possibly enforce that? And then, actually, she stated publicly a few days before the election, actually, she did support a total public ban on all hijab wearing in France completely. And so I thought so much for common sense. I I mean, this woman would bring, uh, and Macron said this, um, and he was right, I think, she she, she would incite civil war by her policies because you'd have... Well, obviously, you'd have big populations who'd resist that. And how could the, the police possibly enforce this legally? Uh, it'd be impossible. And so you'd have this civil disorder on a, on a huge scale. So complete, And that's just one policy, by the way. It's not, uh, there's a lot of other things you want to do as well. So uh, it, it would be very bad news indeed for, for France and everyone if she won, I think. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, but but uh, uh, Marine Le Pen, she is in in this in this group. It's called uh, like like I said, Europe and Identity. Mm-hmm. It's a second organization. Uh, they used to have another group, but they they changed. Uh, some some parties left, some parties came. Uh, but Marine Le Pen, with her 
a party came to the Dutch parliament uh, a few years ago, and I was still in the Freedom Party then, and she visited uh, Geert Wilders, and they talked about how can we uh, strengthen each other, how can we make our message uh, be stronger, how can we share it with more people, how can we gain more power, etc., etc. So, uh, And they, they, they got along very well, because when it comes to Islam, uh, they feel the same. There is no difference. Of course, when it comes to a public, uh, when it comes to the public, sometimes uh, Group A is kind of milder than Group B, Group C, etc. But in the end, when the door closes and they talk inside the room, everybody agrees. They're all on the same page. So it's a very worrying thing because I've really met her and I've seen her talk to, uh, with Geert Wilders. And what they said was, it's just the, the political program of the Freedom Party. And the political party, the, the political program of the Freedom Party, is a little bit different than that what we see uh, with Marine Le Pen. Uh, but in the end, uh, she will try to uh, to enforce yeah, Muslims to leave the religion because that's what it is in the end. Mm. Well, what's the political representation in your country like? I mean, in terms of MPs, I mean, how many are there? What percentage are they of the total number of MPs in the Dutch Parliament now? The Freedom Party. Or any, any, so all the parties that might that might have that kind of view, whatever they may be, party A, party B, or uh, how influential are they within the overall parliament? It's it's uh, yeah, it depends, of course, on uh, the election, but between twenty and thirty percent. Right, right. It's, it's pretty big. It yeah. used to be. I, I I've looked it up. Um, uh, in in two thousand and nine, it was eleven percent. There was anti-Islam and, and explicitly anti-Islam and open about the fact that they are anti-Islam. Uh, but nowadays it's uh, 26%. So it's 26% in, in Holland. And if if the recent presidential elections, Marine Le Pen, she got 40-odd, 46, I forget the exact figure, but yeah. over 40% of the vote. So we're dealing with very substantial proportions of the French electorate and the uh, the electorate in Holland. Uh, and what about uh, other countries like Sweden? And you mentioned Austria, but uh, w- what about other countries in Europe? Yeah, it's it's all it's all between uh, let's say fifteen and thirty percent. Right. And France, of course, because they have another uh, system, political system, so you gain a lot more. Uh, with during elections, got forty two percent. Uh, but with us, it's very, um, it's, it's, uh, we, have, we have so many options to choose from. This, we, we don't have a presidential system. So it's not that we say we go for A or B. You can choose, let's say, 13, 14 parties. So, more, is it proportional representation? Is it? Yeah. 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 So that, that makes it, uh, it, 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 it softens, <laughs> it softens in a way. Right. Uh, but, but overall, it's, it's, uh, yeah, it's, uh, when, when you take, uh, when, when you take uh, the entire, the average, it's, it's uh, around 20, 25% uh, with, with most countries. And right. uh, I think that's a very worrying development because, again, they're very well organized. And they're in the European mm-hmm. Parliament as well. They're in all the other parties. We, in, in the Netherlands, we have, uh, what we say, PVV TV, PVV TV, of course, is not really television station of this party, but because this message is almost the same, it strengthens 
this 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 way of thinking and, and it's that, mainstream it's clearly mainstream if you're a public broadcaster pub, the state broadcaster is broadcasting this uncritically unchallenged as as, as we can see yeah. uh, you've just made it mainstream it, it, it's acceptable discourse you would say yeah, and you see what what <clears throat> the impact is because uh, in the Netherlands we have four the fourth and the fifth of May are uh, days we uh, we we uh, remember uh, the second world war Right, the right. 4th of May is uh, the day we think about the death and all the people who suffered, etc. And the 5th of May is the, the day that we celebrate our freedom. So we, we call it, in a way, it's Liberation Day. Um, but there was this research done by a big television station uh, on the 5th, and they asked, on the 6th, that's the day after, uh, and they asked, how do you feel about Islam? Strange question. Strange question to ask, but anyway. Yeah. <laughs> did they ask, how do you feel about Zoroastrianism, or how do you feel about Hinduism, <laughs> or how do you feel no, about... No, 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 it's because uh, the 6th of May, I don't know if you remember Pim for Time, there was this political uh, figure in the Netherlands. Oh, yes, sorry. Yes. Yeah, he was, yeah, assassinated. He, was he assassinated. Was he assassinated on, on the 6th of May? So oh, indeed, day. okay. So yeah. they asked, and because he was a very anti-Islam politician, yeah, very much so, yeah. asked, they asked the people... What is there still in your mind when it comes to Pim for Time? How do you think about Islam? And over 60% said Islam is not a part of Europe. It's, it's, uh, it's, it's like, like Philip de Winter, it's alien to our culture. It has nothing to do with Europe. Mm. So that's over 60% because Marine Le Pen, of course, gained 42%. Mm. But when it comes to this, this specific topic of Islam, it's over 60% of people think that Islam has nothing to do with, in this case, the Netherlands. Mm -hmm. And that's, I think, a worrying thing. And of course, uh, it has to do with all the, the, the points uh, we've just mentioned in the beginning of this uh, yeah. conversation. But of course, it has also to do with, with us as, uh, let's say, the Muslim community, because we have to explain and, and uh, when we look at the Quran, for example, you have the Surah of the Beast, let it call to the way of your Lord. Mm, mm. So that's something we, I think we should improve to, to share this message of truth with other people and, mm. and, and, and show them that Islam is not a scary thing. Mm. It, uh, on the contrary, it's really beautiful. But I think so much dawah, I mean, it's a slightly different subject, but so much dawah that I'm familiar with, maybe it's not very representative, is really focused on refuting Christianity, you know, refuting the Trinity and so on. And that's fair enough, you know, that there is, there is, there, there are um, clear statements in the Quran about, you know, Jesus not being God and so on. I get that. But in Europe, if, 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 if one is addressing Europeans, people from Holland or England, whatever, you know, the vast majority of people don't go to church, don't identify as Christian anyway. So you're, you're fighting a battle that may have been relevant 20 years ago or certainly a century ago, but now this is not, it's not like, it's not as if Holland is full of Christians who are preaching the Trinity, you know. I wish, I wish, I really wish. wish. Exactly. <laughs> you know, it's full of atheists now who don't believe in anything, well, apparently. Um, so, you know, th th this dower, uh, to the extent that it is representative, what I've seen, um, is, is kind of misplaced because it's not the issue, which is why I don't focus so much on Christianity, but I focus on uh, atheism and my no design post and so on, because it's, it's this sense of losing uh, faith completely. And, and Christianity is, is infinitely better, in my humble opinion, than yeah. secularism, uh, because at least it acknowledges God uh, and the prophets and so on. And a lot, of, a lot of Christianity, of course, is true in that sense.
Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And and and, and uh, I, it's very, very true what you say. So I think that when, when people do Dawah, focus on the fact that in the beginning, there is a God. That's mm. the first thing, because I just mentioned this story, this this, this little anecdote about Adam and Eve. Yes. If, if yeah. people really don't, they don't know story one of their own big narrative, that, that's a very yes. freeing thing. And um, another thing is that, and I've mentioned this uh, report in the beginning, it's uh, outside church in the mosque, oh, yeah. done in the Netherlands. Um, it also mentions that because of this secularization, we'll see that, uh, let's say, 70, 75% in the future of the Netherlands will be atheists. Mm. Uh, what atheism is, but Whatever that means. Will be, yeah, they will be atheists. They will not. They, they will not associate themselves as religious. Uh, they don't see themselves as a religious person because they don't believe in God. But there was another thing mentioned, and was that Islam, when you look at the percentages, will be the biggest religion in the Netherlands. Mm. But it's only nine percent. <laughs> so we have ninety-one percent non-Muslims, and we have Islam as the biggest religion. So it's a kind of. It's almost a crazy situation that, yeah. that you have Islam as the biggest religion in a completely atheistic context. So, mm. of course, that's a worrying thing and a very strange thing. And I think it's unique in the history of mankind that you have a society that chooses to be non-religious. When you look at the Soviet Union or Cuba or China, you could not be religious, otherwise you would get killed but now people want or want or whatever they don't know religion anymore so they are irreligious so they're, they're not not believing but they, they, but, they, yeah but the irony is places like the soviet union which did enforce uh atheism and secularism uh as a matter of state ideology once that system collapsed in the 1980s whatever it was um uh, people went back to church and, and, and you know, the Russian people are not atheists. This is precisely the opposite of, of yeah. Holland. That They went back and are still going back to the Orthodox churches, which are very powerful in, in, um, in yeah. Russia. Um, so a lot of this is to do with the kind of the cultural and political history of a country. And I, I wonder the country like Holland, as it works its way through secularism and atheism, will, will come to the realisation that ultimately there's nothing there and they need... That society needs God, it needs faith, it needs religion, it needs God um, to establish a social order that is wholesome and healthy and guides people. And without that, um, if you have a nihilism, then there is nothing to, to live for. Uh, and you see, you see rates of depression increase, and anxiety and, and loneliness uh, and breakdown of the family. And these are, I think, are symptoms of this secularist ideology. And this is something Douglas Murray, you mentioned in his book, The Strange Death of Europe, which is an amazing book in many ways. He correctly diagnoses the malaise, the sickness at the heart of Europe. Now, Douglas Murray is an atheist, by the way. I mean, he doesn't believe in God, um, although he's a cultural Christian. So he, he would know about the Adam and Eve story because he's an educated cultural Christian. He definitely would know about that. But he, but he says, look, we, we have no faith. Europe has, has lost its way. It's committing suicide, you know, but by not having babies, by not believing in anything, it doesn't know what it's for anymore. What is Europe about? What's it for? And he says, this is a problem. Now, Islam representing the faith of Abraham, the, the prophets, is in a per perfect place in Europe to remind Absolutely. Europe of their own faith, which they've lost, which is the, the, the religion of, of Abraham and found in the prophets and Jesus Christ and Muhammad, peace be upon them all. And so Islam can remind Europe of their own faith, ironically. Um, and, and it's not a new thing. It's, it's just an old thing that's been forgotten. 
Yeah, and I, I often say here in, in the Netherlands, when you translate the words, we, I, I, I tell people we can offer, as, as the Muslim community, we can offer the three G's. Yeah. <laughs> and we, it's called, uh, in Dutch, it says God, Gezin, Gemeenschap. And it means God, family, and community. Oh. So that's, that's what we lost in Europe because people don't believe in God. And Islam has this, the, 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 it's a logical religion. So mm-hmm. that's something people can accept if they mm-hmm. look at it with an open heart. Of course, there is a, a family because uh, when you look yeah. at the, the family struggles a lot of people have here, that's something that Islam urges, of course. I said, well, it's very important to have a family, a father, yeah. a mother, children, etc. Yeah. And community, there's a sense of community, even when we go to mosque or whatever, there is this community sense, the Ummah. So that's something that what Europe lost, there is this, this answer is there. Yeah. It's, yes, it's exactly. called Islam. And it's funny, you mentioned this Douglas Murray guy, he's an yeah. atheist. When you look at Geert Wilders, He's an atheist as well. Is he? I once once had a a little discussion with him. It's the only conversation I I ever had with him about religion. Because the Freedom Party was uh, what what we called uh, the the, the protectors of the Christian heritage. (laughs) So once I asked him, uh, Geert, do you believe in God? Because, of, of course, I was uh, a Christian. You were a believing Christian, yeah. Yeah, and, and he said, why do you want to know that? <laughs> I, I told him, well, because we are the protectors of the of, Christian of the civilization. Heritage. So it's a perfectly natural question. Yeah. Mm. So he said, I don't know. And then this other guy, his assistant, he said, well, so you're an agnostic. And he said, what? And he didn't know what an agnostic was. What? Yeah. So he said, well... Get back to work now. And that was the only conversation I ever had. And it was for me, it was the first time I thought, okay, this is kind of crazy. You have this guy who runs the show when it comes to protecting Christianity, who doesn't believe in Christianity. He doesn't even believe in God. And now we have the new kid on the block, uh, another organization is called Forum for Democracy. Oh, right. it's, a, it's, a, it's a new party. It's it's, uh, it's in Holland, it's, obviously. It's in, in the Netherlands, yeah. But this guy, the, the guy who leads the show, uh, he, he explicitly said on television, I do not believe in God. I'm a cultural Christian. But he is always talking about Christian heritage, etc. So we have two guys here protecting Christian heritage, although they do not believe in Christianity. They don't even You can't have the heritage without the faith. The, 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 the heritage is a fruit of the faith. You can't, you can't have the, the fruit without the plant and the roots in the soil. It's ridiculous. You might as well just throw the whole thing away and start again. But you can't do that because they like cultural Christianity. I mean, it's a, it's a very poor way of running a show, really. Yeah, and, and it's the same with, the, with the, uh, to, to, to get back to the first thing, uh, this, this umfolking, this, this, this yes. theory of uh, the replacement theory, a lot of these people, for example, Geert Willis, he doesn't have any children. He, don't, he doesn't have kids. So if you're very worried about we as, as uh, white Christians or whatever are being replaced, then the least you can do is have a lot of babies. And, 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 and guess what? Douglas Murray has no children either. You know, this is this is very, very ironic uh, that they're complaining yes. about you know, uh, the cultural Christians, but don't believe in Christianity. They, they want more, more indigenous white babies, but they won't have any of themselves. They, they really want it both ways. They want to 
the fruits okay. without the the root that's the right word it doesn't make any <laughs> sense you've got to work for the bottom up you've got to have the faith and that that's that's what's been the heartbeat of europe for most of its history has been yeah. a passionate belief in god uh, and and that's what motivated peter to build these beautiful cathedrals these cathedrals of architectural wonder uh, and and the great art and the music of johann sebastian bach and so on motivated by faith you couldn't have bach without his lutheran piety his passionate faith in god obviously if you know anything about his music it doesn't need to be argued for you couldn't have notre dame cathedral in paris without the the, the, the saint paul's cathedral <laughs> you can't have this stuff and not have the religion i'm sorry douglas murray i'm sorry gert wilders you can't have your cake and eat it you've got to have your faith and if you if you're anti-faith and muslims come from this same faith it's rooted in the same reality the reality of god who made the universe who gave us these abilities to uh, create great uh, create great things for his glory so it doesn't make sense does it? it it all kind of doesn't stand up what they're arguing no and it, it, it it's uh, yeah it, it's a strange thought that i once had but it's, it's almost like 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 europe had to has to forget their own identity in a way before they can accept islam because in a way christianity is is like a barrier for for islam eh? when you look at history of course they fought these battles etc etc i when i look at my own past and the, the struggles i had as uh, as a christian becoming a muslim but after you you leave that or perhaps eh, these children i once taught that they didn't have this 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 belief in god so it makes them more open in a way to to islam and at the same time that secularization uh, uh, kicked in let's say the 60s 70s yeah. and all these muslims came into europe so <laughs> in a way it's almost like like a like a natural or organic development that perhaps islam shows people this is the answer this is what we can have this is this is the future and of course we have this own uh, our own european context like just like people in asia have and in other parts of uh, of the world uh, but i think it, it will be uh yeah of course uh, we're muslim but uh of course i think it, it is it really is the answer and it's not in not, mm. not a political message or something but and, and it can be a, a local expression think of indonesia yeah. which is the largest muslim country in the world has more muslims than any other country in the world yeah. and it's not an arab country i mean they oh. don't speak arabic there as the first language they speak indonesian obviously and um it's a very beautiful country beautiful people they're lovely expression of islam they're all very devout hundreds of millions of them and it's not an arab country keep on stressing this because you can have a european expression i would argue of faith and we you know um, you mentioned your book obviously you're, you're european but the forward is written by two people hamza yusuf who is a caucasian american and abdul hakim murad obviously that is an arabic name but his actual other name is tim winter timothy yeah. winter he's an englishman he's an english reaver as white as you and i are so th th this th there are three people who are prominent muslims all of whom are Caucasian Western people here and representing uh, an Islam, an expression of Islam, which is indigenous or native to Europe and the United States. So it is happening. It happens. And there's a picture on the cover there of a Muslim. They were. You can see what he looks like. <laughs> this is what a European Muslim looks like, folks. <laughs> yeah. Can you relate to that? Um, I can. <laughs> Hey, but it's true. It's true, and 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 uh, of course, it, the, the the concept is already in Islam. Right? It's called urf, that you yeah. have to adjust yeah. to the culture where you come as 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 new Muslims, right. and you can accept everything as long as it's not contrary to the religion. So 
it isn't that scary. It's something beautiful. It's something that can be accepted by by, by everybody. And, and Indonesia is a perfect example. But also, for example, Singapore. Mm. In Singapore, they have a prime minister with a fail. It's a woman. <laughs> She's I, Muslim. I didn't and, know that. Actually. Yeah. I need to check that out because I've been to Singapore and I didn't realize that. <laughs> yeah. And it's, it's a very successful country. It's a very, very successful country. It's, 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 yeah. uh, a lot of people want to be in Singapore, but yep. it's run by a Muslim woman. So oh, okay. it is, it, it's not that uh, because uh, that's the narrative a lot of anti-Islam organizations uh, share. Mm-hmm. Uh, Islam isn't something uh, for poor people or for people from outside or strange or backward or whatever, because look at Singapore, look at Indonesia, look at Malaysia and a lot of other countries in the world I don't mention now. There's so many examples of uh, Islam being something prosper something beautiful uh, but people have to want to see it they just have to open their eyes and it's also the irony i know it's a bit of a cliche but i i do like to mention it remind people from time to time you know europe is wedged to christianity it's the christian european faith and so excuse me jesus of nazareth was a first century palestinian jew who yeah. didn't speak english <laughs> who didn't speak any european languages he probably wasn't white in the modern sense of the term and didn't believe in secular democracy and was not a liberal and didn't advocate parliamentary elections and so i mean none of this is true of jesus whatsoever and historically christians in the europe have worshipped this guy and if you go in into churches certainly in london still now you'll see portrayals of jesus and mary as very white english looking people but this is not true this is not the reality that they would have looked like the palestinians or the arabs you see in the middle east now probably i would guess and their language jesus language aramaic is 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 is, uh very similar is cognate to other semitic languages like arabic indeed the word for god the jesus word for god in aramaic sounds an awful lot like allah in arabic um in other words he and you know just down the road from there in a place called mecca there was another prophet. Um, you know, he's from the same part of the world, actually, from Jesus. If you look on a map, Palestine and Arabia are quite close to each other, a long way from Europe. So it, it's kind of odd that we, we see in Europe Christianity is our religion, and yet it's actually from the Middle East, just yeah. as Islam is. It's yeah. from the same part of the world. And it comes from the same roots, which go back to Abraham and even before that, to Noah and that. So the great irony here is the the other is actually already in our midst, and yet we don't see it as other. We we see it as our own, but it never was our own. It always was from the same part of the world that that yeah, Muhammad. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, beautiful. Uh, and 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 uh, it, it's also when you look at Spain. Spain has been Muslim, of course, for a longer time than it is Christian now. Yeah. So uh, when you look at Bosnia, Turkey, Albania, they're all... There are white Muslim countries. You mentioned yeah. that. Yeah, so, they, these uh, are white Muslims, and they've been Muslims for centuries. And they're yeah. in Europe, obviously. Yeah. yeah, and even when, when, uh, when uh, let's say uh, 732, we, we just mentioned uh, two times in the, in the conversation, uh, when, when the people came from Northern Africa to France, people think there was this clash between the Christians and the Muslims. But in 732, a lot of places in Europe were still pagan. They weren't Christians. Uh, they weren't Christian at all. Look at Finland, for example. It, it's up till the 18th century before they were all Christianized. Yeah. So there wasn't a Christian. Uh, and, and at that time in England, of course, England didn't exist, but it, it was uh, a, a very substantially a pagan society. And so Muslims yeah. then were proclaiming, the, the truth about Jesus and Muhammad and, and, and Abraham the prophets to a people who rejected all of them in yeah. England. 
in what is now England or Finland or something. So yeah. Yeah, we, we, great irony here. Yeah, it is. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Really okay. Good. Well, um, perhaps we, we can um, draw that to a conclu- uh, uh, conclusion. Uh, I do I do recommend uh, the book with this European Muslim on the cover. <laughs> Sorry to go on about that. Uh, apostate um, with forward by two other um, Western uh, co- converts, uh, Hamza Yusuf and uh, Professor Timothy Winter from Cambridge University. Um, that's the, the back cover. And I will link uh, to the program on Dutch public television uh, if you want to see uh, what we were discussing in the description uh, below. And uh, I was very shocked when I first heard about what's happening there. Um, uh, Joram, did you want to say anything in, in conclusion at all? Well, I hope this 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 uh, this episode of blogging theology uh, uh, it, it it makes it makes clear to a lot of people that there is this development going on, and it's it's mm. not something marginalized. It's, it's really in your face. It's out there, and it's being uh, more and more acceptable for a lot of people. And I think it's very important for the Muslim community to answer this in the most positive way, just like the Quran says, because that's, I think, the only way forward and that's uh, uh, the only way we can uh, attack this and uh, encounter this this, 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 uh, this horrible way of, uh, of, of thinking. And by the way, I am in, in London uh, next Tuesday. So I was wondering, and it's something else, there's this speaker's corner, right? Yes, yes. Uh, oh yes, well, that that's, it meets on um, on Sundays though. It's not every day oh, of the week. Okay, yes, okay. no. If you turn up on Tuesday or whenever, you're not going to see anything happening. It's only on Sundays. Uh, are, are you are you here till Sunday or are you going back? No, we're just one day because uh, we have this uh, Islam Experience uh, Center, of course, and we're we're starting a museum now in the Netherlands, the first Muslim museum, by the way. So that's uh, oh, do, do tell. So where is this in in uh, in the Netherlands? Whereabouts is it? Uh, in Rotterdam, the, the second uh, the second uh, city of the Netherlands, uh, and we're starting a an, uh, yeah. It, it's the first Islamic museum in the Netherlands, and it will be a very high tech museum. So we have virtual reality, augmented reality, hologram stuff like that. So it will be the first VR museum as well. But it's also so we have this traditional narrative in the most high tech way presented to the public. But you guys in the UK are much more. <laughs> there you're ahead of us when it comes to vr and stuff like that so we have to get our equipment <laughs> in london so uh, really? that's why we visit uh, oh i see you're getting your equipment from, okay well we, we, we probably get our equipment from japan after that so I don't right. know. <laughs> um oh that's, that's great well I, I do wish you very well with, with uh with that project in rotterdam that sounds extremely exciting uh the first one of its kind in oh, when we open i'll invite you Inshallah, I, I would be an honoured, uh, an honour to go. I'll, I'll take a camera along and um, and, right. and show that. Absolutely fantastic. Well, best wishes for that, uh, Joram. And uh, well, I, I guess that's uh, it for now. And um, safe travels to England on Tuesday. Um, yeah, it's pretty safe here at the moment. We don't have much COVID. We got this new thing. Is it monkeypox or something? That's, uh, oh yeah, yeah we've. Uh, <laughs> but at the moment, we're not having to wear face masks or do anything different this time. But um, anyway, safe, safe travel. So thank you very much. Until next you time. Assalamualaikum. Bye.